Been having a little difficulty with my lower back. It's been going in and going out. And so if you know Martin Luther's famous phrase from the Reformation, I will say, here I sit. I can do no other. Our text for today is from the first reading, the book of Romans, chapter 3, this wonderfully rich passage of scripture. I do ask you if there is the word of God near you, open up a worship folder, a Bible, and turn to Romans chapter 3. If you're using our church Bibles, that can be found on page 941. We're going to be looking at just a few verses, starting with verse 22, the last sentence of verse 22, where St. Paul says this. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And then verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And this is the holy and inspired word of God. It was... April the 17th of 1521. This was just about three and a half years after Martin Luther had nailed his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, which took place on October 31st of 1517. This was April 17th of 1521 that Martin Luther was ordered, he was commanded to appear before an imperial court in the German city of Worms. And Martin Luther essentially was standing trial for heresy. There was a sentence of death weighing over his head. And Martin Luther was ushered into the room on April the 17th of 1521, late in the afternoon the son of a German coal miner. And he was standing surrounded by the most powerful men of the world, of Europe. The most powerful men in the church and the most powerful men within the world of the state. And there before him was the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. And they brought Luther into the room and there was a table that was set before him and on the table was various books and pamphlets and writings that he had written. And they asked him two questions. First of all, Martin Luther, are these your writings? And his answer was yes. And the second question that they asked him was, Martin Luther, do you recant? Do you reject 
your teachings and your writings as heresy. And the Hollywood version of the story is this way, that Martin Luther stood there on that day and he raised his fist in the air and he said, I do not recant. I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. And he marches boldly out the door and he jumps on his white stallion horse and rides off to continue the work of the Reformation. That is not how it happened. Martin Luther, are these your writings? Yes, they are. Martin Luther, do you recant? And Luther was shaking. And Luther was speaking, but his answer, his reply was so quiet, it was so faint, they couldn't hear it. Speak up, Martin Luther. We need your answer. Do you recant? And Martin Luther said... Can I have 24 hours to think it over? And they gave him this 24-hour reprieve. And Luther went back to his room that evening, and it was for him his own private Garden of Gethsemane moment. It was a long, dark night of the soul as he was wrestling back and forth, a sentence of death over him. What should he do, O Lord, O Lord, give me strength? But what is it, really, that led Martin Luther to this moment? What is it that led him to be willing to sacrifice his very life for the men and the women of the Reformation? What was the issue at hand that caused the Reformation and that, that, that led them even to be willing to give their life? Well, let me tell you what it was not. It was not simply whether or not we should listen to the Pope or not listen to the Pope. It wasn't whether or not we should pray to Mary or not pray to Mary. It wasn't really about whether we should pray to the saints or not pray to the saints or how many sacraments there are. Those are important issues, but they are secondary and they're tertiary to the ultimate reason, the central doctrine which led to the Reformation that Luther and others were willing to die for, the central issue at hand was what is called the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification, that is the great question of how we or how you as a human being is considered just before a holy God. How you are made right in your relationship with God. How you are saved. How is it that you can be considered righteous and holy in the eyes of God? That is the doctrine of justification and what the church was teaching. What Martin Luther had been brought up to believe was this. that the doctrine of justification, you are made just, you are considered holy and righteous before God by God's grace. That Jesus Christ died for you and rose for you and up there in the heavenly realms there was all of the righteousness of Jesus, all of his goodness and his holy perfection and it was there for you. But in order for that to be infused within your very being, 
in order for all of that goodness to be credited to your account, it had to be earned. You had to merit the merit of Christ. You had to work for, you had to, it was grace and God brought you in by baptism initially, all by grace and all of his righteousness and goodness was there for you, but in order for it to be infused within you, you had to work for it. You had to earn it by going to mass, by other religious observances, by maybe spending some money. You had to earn it by your confession of your sins and by penance, by paying off those sins, by acts of charity and generosity and general good works. And this is very important for us to remember because it is a very different system and a different way of understanding that this was also a process. It was not a declaration that God makes, you are just holy and forgiven. No, it is a process over the course of your entire life where this grace that you have to earn for yourself would be infused within you, but you're like a leaky bathtub and the grace just kind of leaks out of you. And it has to be instilled and instilled again and again and again. And for Martin Luther raised this way, he was deeply troubled in his conscience because he realized he could never do enough or be good enough. This is what drove him to become a monk. And Martin Luther himself said that if any monk was saved by his monkery, it would have been I. I mean, he was denying himself food. He was denying himself blankets in the bitter cold of the German winters. And one of his strangest practices in the monastery was his habit of not just weekly, but daily confession of his sin, where most monks would go in for a few minutes and confess a few sins and do their penance and be on with it. And Martin Luther, every day, would spend an hour, two hours, three hours, confessing his sins to his father. It's reported that at least on some occasions he would spend over six hours in the confessional booth. It got to the point where some people were accusing him of trying to get out of work. How much trouble can you get in in a monastery in the first place? I coveted Brother Micah's mashed potatoes at dinner. Six hours confessing every single little peccadillo, every single little sin that he could possibly think of in order for him to have some sense of peace, that he was righteous before God. Six hours and he would walk away feeling uplifted, he would feel that peace, and then he would get back to his room and he would remember One, he had forgotten because in order for your sins to be forgiven, they had to be confessed. In order to be confessed, they had to be remembered. And Martin Luther had forgotten one and he would be plunged back down to the depths of despair into hell itself. Now, it has been said of Martin Luther over the years, and even recently, I have recent blog posts and theological writings from other non-Lutherans, that Martin Luther clearly was suffering from some sort of mental problems. This is, a, this is a going theory that he had some over-hypersensitivity or a guilt complex of some sort that caused him to do these things and act in this way and to believe these things. And I would submit to you 
But it wasn't so much a meant, look, Martin Luther was a strange man. One time, Martin Luther said, he bowels, he was very well known for his bowels and his issues with his bowels. Micah's going, I can't believe you're going there. <laughs> Martin Luther once said, he wrote in a letter that if he breaks wind in Wittenberg, they'll hear it in Leipzig. He was so well known. This is the guy, he was earthy, he was a guy. He was a little odd, our brother Martin. But was he insane? No, I submit to you that he profoundly understood who we are as sinners, and he profoundly understood who God truly is in all of his holiness and righteous perfection. That as we see here in our text, the words of Paul from Romans chapter 3, verse 22, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That is the standard. Martin Luther understood. It wasn't we've fallen short of the glory of our next door neighbor, or we've fallen short of the glory of Micah Steiner, or we've fallen short of the glory of that person we saw on the news. The standard is the holy, righteous perfection of God himself who was holy, holy, holy. And notice that Paul says there is no distinction for all have sinned. What Paul means by this, there is no distinction whether you are a total pagan or a most wonderful religious person. Whether you are a terrible criminal or a wonderful saint. Whether you are Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa. All have fallen short of the glory of God. My analogy that I use often is this. There are two swimmers, and there's one swimmer who cannot swim at all, does not know how to swim. He's trying to swim across the Pacific Ocean. He gets 10 feet, and he dies, drowns. The other swimmer is an Olympic gold medalist who swam across the English Channel. And that swimmer makes it 50 miles out across the Pacific Ocean, drowns, and he dies. My question to you is, which one is most dead? <laughs> the point being, the task is impossible. There is not just a little bit of ground that needs to be made up between us and a holy, perfected, and uh, a glorious God. Rather, it is an infinite chasm. This is what Martin Luther understood, that he could not do enough. He could not do enough. He was asked one time in the monastery, Martin Luther, don't you love God? Martin Luther said, you ask me if I love God? Love God? Sometimes I hate him. Because he understood who God was and all of his holiness and he understood the demands of the law and he understood what the church was teaching him that you have to merit the merit of Christ and it is a process over your life and you have to earn it for yourself. He says, I can't do it. It did not go well for him in the monastery to the point where they decided, Luther, you need to leave the monastery, you need to go, and they sent him to a new university in the German city of Wittenberg where he was to be a professor and he was to be a lecturer. Oh, how wonderful in God's plan and providence and design of things to be a lecturer on the word of God and the scriptures themselves, not just church traditions or opinions of popes, but on the holy and inspired word of God. And lo and behold, it was this very book, the book of Romans, 
that he began to study and prepare lectures on. And this is when he discovered what we see here in verse 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. We are justified, we are made right. In fact, we are declared to be righteous, not a process over time, but in a moment, a declaration that God makes over you, though you are still in your sin, and he says, you are holy and you are righteous, and it's by my grace as a gift. He says, it is absolutely free of charge for you, dear Christian. But I think the default mode of the human heart is it's, it, I, it's, we struggle to, but can it really be this? Is this really true? It seems too good to be true. And the default mode is for the focus to be on us. I was teaching a class many, many years ago in my home church, Chattanooga, Tennessee, before seminary, and I was teaching the high school students. And I had a group of about 20 or so high school students, and I asked them a question. I said, if you were to die and you were to stand before God, what would you say to God for him to allow you into heaven? And I had them write the answers on a little slip of paper, and we put it in a hat, and I drew them out. And every single one of them said some version of this. Why should God let me into heaven? Because I believe and because I go to church. Because I have faith and I pray. Because I believe in Jesus and I read my Bible. All the answers were like that. Because I believe and because I do such and such. There was only one girl in the class who got actually the closest to the right answer, and her answer was, I really don't know why he would. That's actually the best answer of all of them. Let me say this. If you were to stand, and the day that you stand before God in all of his holiness and glory, and he says, why should you stand before me and be in my presence for all eternity if your sentence begins with I, you've got it completely and totally and utterly wrong. Do not begin that sentence with I, sentence begins and it ends with Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says, isn't it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a word we hear a lot, redemption, to be redeemed. This is language in Paul's day, in the first century Roman world, would have been very well understood. If you were a captain or a general or a king, a leader of an army, and your army had been taken captive and they were prisoners of war, there was a process for which you could buy back those prisoners of war, some of your soldiers, your people. You could redeem them by paying a cost, a price. Your salvation, your justification, it is a free gift for you, but it comes at a great cost to God himself. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. As Martin Luther would say, not with silver or gold, but with what? His holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death for you. 
because he loves you with all of his heart. But you can still say, see, that, that, that's what we believe. This is what the church teaches. And, and, and Jesus died for me, and he redeemed me, and all of his righteousness in there. But, but how does that righteousness get credited to me? I mean, how, how can that righteousness and goodness of Christ, I mean, I've got to do something. I've got to earn it. No, what does Paul say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God are justified by his grace as a gift of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus to be received by what? By faith. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Could it be any clearer? Back up before that in verse 26, at the very end of verse 26, if you're following along, it describes God, that God is one who is just and he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is by faith, and Martin Luther would say, by faith what? Alone. What is faith? It is intellectual, it is believing, but faith is trust. I have nothing, I can do nothing, and I trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, and no one's faith is perfect. And it was this verse that he was studying in the university in Wittenberg and preparing his lectures, and he describes this experience, Martin Luther does. He says, it was day after day after day I was wrestling with what this means, a righteousness that is by faith, and all of a sudden it dawned on him, by grace, through faith, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, and Martin Luther says in that moment, it was as though he had ascended through the gates of heaven itself. And there was no turning back. He wrote those 95 theses, 95 statements, again, some of the abuses of the church and indulgences and all of those things. He nails it on the church door in Wittenberg 504 years ago to this very day on All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Eve. Kids, enjoy your Halloween trick-or-treat. His students got a hold of the 95 Theses. They translated the Latin into German. Luther never really wanted this to get out too far. He wanted it to be an internal debate to reform the church. The students took it being students, and there was this new invention by Gutenberg called the printing press. They made hundreds and hundreds of copies, and in two weeks, it spread throughout all of Europe, and the Pope himself wrote a papal encyclical, official word of God himself from the Pope. That's what's called exerge domine. Rise up, O Lord. There is a wild boar loose in your vineyard. That drunken German. He was branded and labeled and declared to be a heretic, and in April 17th of 1521, he was commanded to stand trial with a sentence of death over his head in the German city of Worms. The most powerful men of the world surrounded him. The Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Martin Luther, are these your writings? Yes, they are. Martin Luther, do you recant? Can I have 24 hours to think it over? And Martin Luther went back to his room. As I said, it was his own private garden of Gethsemane moment. A long, dark night of the soul. And we have, to this day, written the prayer that Martin Luther prayed that evening. 
And I want to share this as we close with the words of Luther, this prayer, his struggle, and get an insight into his faith. Listen to his prayer. O God, almighty God everlasting, how dreadful is the world. Behold how its mouth opens to swallow me up and how small is my faith in thee. Oh, the weakness of the flesh and the power of Satan. If I'm to depend upon any strength of this world, all is over. The nail is struck. Sentence is gone forth. Oh God, oh God, oh thou my God, help me against the wisdom of the world. Do this, I beseech thee. Thou shouldst do this by thine own mighty power. The work is not mine, but it's thine. Lord, where are you? My God, where are you? Come, I pray thee. I am ready. Behold me prepared to lay down my life for the truth, suffering like a lamb, for the cause is holy, it is thine own. I will not let you go. And though the world should be thronged with devils, and this body which is the work of thine hands should be cast forth, trodden underfoot, cut in pieces, consumed to ashes, my soul is thine. Yes, I have thine own word to assure me of it. My soul belongs to thee and will abide with thee forever. Amen. Oh God, send help. Amen. And it was the next day on April 18th of 1521 that Martin Luther was ushered into that room again of all the powers of the world around him, the sentence of death. Late in the afternoon, Martin Luther, are these your writings? Yes, Martin Luther, do you recant? And this time he said this. That unless I am convinced by sacred scripture, along with evident clear reason, I cannot recant. For my conscience is held captive by the truth of God's word. And to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can't do anything else. God help me. The core ecclesia, the heart of the church, the foundation upon which the church stands or falls, Martin Luther says, was the doctrine of justification by faith through, by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone. We are comforted and may he receive all of the glory Amen.